everybody. Thank you so much for joining us today on episode number 128 of the Real Life Runners podcast. The episode's title is Stop Lying to Yourself because today we're going to be talking about all the negative self-talk that so many of us engage in without even realizing it sometimes and how that negative self-talk can be holding us back and what we can do about it. This is the Real Life Runners Podcast, and we're your hosts, Kevin and Angie Brown. Thanks for spending some time with us today. Now let's get running. Okay, so we entitled this episode, Stop Lying to Yourself, because I feel like this is something that a lot of people need to hear, because I feel like as runners, we have very high standards for ourselves. And a lot of times when we don't meet those standards, we tend to be very hard on ourselves. Very hard on ourselves. Like, oh, I I can't do it. I'm a terrible runner. I'm not even a runner. Mm. I'm such a slow runner. Right. I'm such a slacker. And they all start, I mean, we kind of said it quickly, but but they're all I am statements. Yeah. Which means when you say them, then they become automatic statements of fact inside of your head. Fact and identity. Yeah. Real troublesome. Very troublesome. So today we want to talk about that. Like the negative self-talk that all of us have, um, we all suffer from this at some point in our lives, at some point in our running careers. And hopefully by listening to this podcast, I, I hope that you guys have started to move away from some of these areas of self-talk, like moving away from the negativity and trying to focus on more of the positivity and the accomplishments that you have and really appreciating all of the improvements that you're making in your running, even when maybe the time on the clock isn't what you want it to be, or you know, you're know you not running the distance that you want it to be, or you're not getting back into running as quickly after you just have the last baby that you had. Like, There's all these things, right? And we tend to be very hard on ourselves. So hopefully this episode can kind of help you out when you know it comes to those things. You can start to catch yourself a little bit more when you start to think these things and then try to reverse them. Yeah. So one of the ways that I was looking at this is how do you handle it when other people are critical of you? Right. You know, and then kind of flip that and be like, okay, well, what if that criticism is coming from you? Yeah. Because it comes from both places. Right. So sometimes you've got other people that, that say, oh no, no, you can't accomplish that thing. And we're very quick to be like, yeah, watch this. But when that voice comes inside of your head and you don't even know that it's there of like, oh yeah, you can't really accomplish that goal. Then it just sort of like eats away at you inside. And then you don't really try and push towards those goals because you've got this little voice inside your head. Right. Sometimes it's almost easier when someone else who is physically in front of you is saying you can't do it because you'll stand up to them. I think it depends on your personality though because yeah. like there are some people that can take criticism for others as like fuel to their fire, right? And like you just said, like if someone tells you that you can't do something, you'll say, oh yeah, watch me, right? And there are some people that definitely have that personality. And then there are other people that take that criticism and say, oh, that person doesn't think I should do this. Maybe they're right. Maybe I shouldn't do this. Maybe I can't do this. Right, So and those ways of handling that sort of that criticism is the same thing that happens when you hear that, that voice from inside. Yeah. You still have different ways of handling it. And, you know, you got to pick the healthiest way, which one's going to actually lead to overall progress. Right. So sometimes if you have big goals, that can sometimes invite criticism from other people, right? Because if you tell people that you want to change the world, a lot of times they want to point out that you can't change the world or that you're only one person like what do you think you can do to actually change the world or to change something that's going on in your life yeah i mean the bigger your goal is the more people are going to be like yeah no you can't do that 
Like you just, you can't, because they can't wrap their mind around it. Well, I think it also depends on who you have in your life, right? Who, who do you have in your inner circle? And this goes back to the old, you know, um, the, the mantra or the, the saying that you are the five people that you are a combination of the five people that you keep closest to you, right? Yeah, that's a good point. Um, so, so if your circle is very negative and critical, then a lot of that is going to drip down onto you yeah if your circle is super critical you aren't allowed to have a big goal because none of them have a big goal and anytime someone at all tries to have any sort of ability to excel everyone around them crushes that dream Mm -hmm. it's it's the whole um don't be the tallest blade of grass because the lawnmower's coming you know like well no it's sometimes you you want to to reach up you want to shine and and that's how you get ahead but people come at you with the criticism of like yeah but the tallest blade of grass gets the gets the blade like well that's a silly way of looking at it we're people and i'm gonna go out and change the world (laughs) (laughs) but i think that that makes a really good point about like who you surround yourself with is extremely important when it comes to this kind of thing when it comes to setting big goals for yourself when it comes to the the talk that's in your head right because you're going to repeat a lot of the talk that you hear from others that's just what's going to happen I think that's one thing that you and I are so very conscious about in our parenting as well like the the things that we say to our girls and the exact wording that we use for things is super important because we want to give them the correct self-talk in their heads that the the self-talk that's going to make them feel like they can do whatever they want to do like they can go out and change the world or that they can have big goals and big dreams and that they're capable of accomplishing those things we don't want to be the voices in their head that's going to like push them down yeah I mean we've been working for years I I've been working a lot you adapted your your speaking much quicker than I did to try and remove a lot of the like you are this Mm -hmm. like no no, you you are doing poor actions you made a bad choice there you're not a bad person you know right that you are a bad girl kind of thing yeah not like it it always kills me when the girls say that like I'm a bad girl I'm like no you're not and I I get like upset about that when they say that I'm like don't you dare say that about yourself yeah I I get the same thing in class also I hear all the kids that are constantly talking to each other like oh man, I got a big test coming up and I'm so dumb. Mm-hmm. We, yeah, how, how well is that going to go on the test? Right. Like you, you accept it before the piece of paper hit your desk, you're dumb. Yeah. So. so I think it's important for us to realize this right now and stop and think about this. Like what are the messages that you heard growing up from your family, from your friends, from the people in your inner circle? What were those messages? Because those messages continue to affect you now, whether you realize it or not. Yeah, so if you if you look at it and try and figure out what those messages were, they came from a couple reasons. You know, that person may have been trying to protect you. Mm-hmm. Like maybe you put a big dream out there, a giant goal out there, and they're like, that is dangerous. I don't know if that's going to go well. Or they didn't think that you could get to it, and they wanted to protect you from your own potential disappointment. Mm-hmm. Or maybe it was more personal to them, and they were like, well, I don't think I could accomplish that, so I don't think they could accomplish it either. That's right. a, that's their own self-preservation. More like, ego-related. Yeah, their own ego doesn't think they can accomplish it, so let alone they're going to try and support somebody else reaching for that giant goal. Mm-hmm. Because that fear of the unknown really tends to shut a lot of people down before they even take the risk. And like Kevin said, like, there may be people in your life that were trying to shut you down because they just saw whatever that dream was as too risky. And I don't think that a lot of people necessarily do this from a negative place. Like they, I think the majority of the people in your life are probably 
thinking that they're doing the right thing for you. They're trying to help you. They're trying to save you from disappointment or from heartache or from some sort of negative emotion by just like, you know what, maybe you should just bring it down a little bit. Like you're a little too much right now. So maybe you should just play a little safer. Yes, play a little safer. And then they just try and remove obstacles from your path, Yeah, which then prevents obstacles from showing up in your path, which prevents you from ever getting stronger. And so then you can't actually grow and improve yeah. because you never had a challenge because they just, they kind of, every time you reached for something that was big, they're like, don't worry, I'll bring it down to a lower level so it's easier for you to get to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like that old story of the butterfly. Yes. Like, I know that, I feel like that was what was in your head right now. Um, there's the story of like the, the old man that noticed there was a, a butterfly cocoon a chrysalis like outside of his window and for weeks he or for a week or whatever how long however long it takes for the the chrysalis to break open and form a butterfly he watched it and he finally saw that the butterfly was starting to come through and he noticed that the butterfly was struggling and was really trying to get out of this cocoon and really struggling to get out and he decided he was going to go help and so he got a little pair of, of scissors and he kind of cut snip very very carefully through the cocoon so that the butterfly could get out and when he noticed that the butterfly came out the body was so swollen and the wings were very like limp and weak and he watched and the butterfly would try to fly and he couldn't and he watched this over and over again and the butterfly never was able to fly away and it basically points out that you need struggle in order to grow into what you need to be because it's through the struggle of getting out of the cocoon that they, the butterfly pushes like the fluid and the swelling out of the body and into the wings to yeah. actually allow it to fly. Yeah, I like that story because it's got the bio at the end. It's yeah. like the wings go out and the body literally has to squeeze through this tiny hole and it pushes all the actual fluids into the wings so the wings swell up the way they're supposed to, mm-hmm. which is kind of cool. Which is cool, but it that it's just one of those stories that point out the importance of struggle in order for you to become the beautiful butterfly that you were meant to be. Right, which is also on the track of parenting of there's a lot of parents that are like, well, if I just remove all of the obstacles from in front of my kid, then it'll just be smooth sailing for mm-hmm. them. It's like, well, you can't remove every obstacle. Yeah. Eventually, they're going to run into an issue. And the earlier they run into an issue, the earlier they start figuring out how to deal with challenges. Mm-hmm. The more challenges that get thrown in front of you, the more you're like, oh, that's just another challenge. I had a challenge yesterday. Right. I had a challenge this morning. Watch what happens. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's another challenge coming at lunch. I've handled three challenges already today here comes another one and it's not like oh god it's a challenge I should duck and cover right yeah and I think that's important but I feel like it's also very hard as a parent to watch your child struggle and suffer but even knowing that it is necessary for their growth it's a very difficult thing to just let happen Um, so I can definitely understand why parents would do that like why they would try to make things easier for their kids because they don't want them to go through what they went through or you know make the mistakes that they made And, and I think that to some extent there is definitely something good to be said about that and I try to talk to ours about like you know these are some of the mistakes that I made so I want you to you can learn from my mistakes so that you don't have to make the same mistakes. Like that doesn't mean they're not going to ever struggle in their life, that they're not going to ever suffer. And I obviously I hope that that suffering is minimal, but they're going to go through some stuff like that's just going to happen. Like no matter how wonderful your parents are, your life is like things are going to happen. 
Right. Things are going to happen and the kid has to be able to, to handle it. That leads to the self-talk. That's where the self-talk comes from is, you know, it goes back to childhood. A lot of this goes back to childhood is where people trying to constantly take challenges away from you. Yeah. Does that teach you the lesson in order for me to handle a challenge, I need someone else to help. I need someone else to try and make the challenge less because I can't handle it myself. Mm-hmm. Because then you've got that stuck in your head. So then now a big challenge comes up in front of you and you're like, ooh, where's my helper? Yeah. And it's just you standing there and you're like, oh, well, I'm not going to succeed at this challenge because I don't have my helper with me. Right. And that's one thing that some people go through. Other people have had really tough lives and have had a lot of suffering and challenges and no one there to help them. So while they have been able to step up and get through those challenges, they some people can sometimes come into things with that survival mentality versus I'm just I just have to survive this. I have to get through this versus I can thrive. Right. It's surviving versus thriving. And then like you said, there's the other people that just like freeze because they don't know what to do because they haven't faced any challenges in their lives before. So no one's thriving. Everyone's either just trying to get through it or trying to avoid it. Like, those are your options. Get through it or avoid. Well, I mean, those aren't the only (laughs) options, obviously, and that's what this episode's about, but that's part of the issue when it comes to that negative self-talk. And the messages that we're telling ourselves in our head a lot of times are reflections from our parents or our friends or things growing up. You know, like if you were bullied as a kid and you had somebody that was constantly telling you, negative things about yourself maybe that voice is still in your subconscious mind and when you come up against a challenge that's what you hear without even realizing it like you know that bully bullying episode could have happened years and years and years ago and totally not be you know front and center in your mind but still affecting you in some way yeah yeah you don't realize that you're still like you know you're you're in your mid 30s 40s 50s and suddenly something happens in your life and you're back in fifth grade. Yeah. Like your brain is back in fifth grade and it didn't go well then. And without even realizing that you're currently dealing with your fifth grade bully, you are in fact currently dealing with your fifth grade bully. Right. Because the brain doesn't know any better. Like that, the brain cannot determine whether or not it's a past event or a present event. It just knows that this is what happens. And so even though it happened 20, 30 years ago, your brain still thinks it's happening now. And that's why sometimes when you're in a, in a situation, you get really, really nervous or your, your palms start to sweat or you start to, you know, have all these physical symptoms of like fight or flight that, you know, a lot of people that have um, anxiety when speaking on stage or these kinds of things, right, or going into any sort of situation or an interview or these kinds of things – a lot of that is coming from some past event like that happened to you that now your brain is somehow going back to. There's some sort of glitch. Yeah, and I mean, it very well could be someone who was trying to help you. Like, I go back to thinking way back in grade school, one of the first times that we had to like stand in front of the classroom and present, it was like a book report that you had to stand in front. And the teacher was like, you know, this is what you're going to do when you come to the front. And I can remember her following up like the directions with, now don't be nervous, which immediately means, wait, this is something that I should consider being nervous about mm. because you told me not to be nervous. So that means that some, for some reason I should be nervous about this and then I have to overcome my nervousness. So basically she taught us that standing in front of people and talking is a nerve-wracking experience. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, even when people say don't do something or you know, don't feel that way, that can sometimes induce those feelings. Yeah, everybody pay attention real quick. Don't think of a giant pink elephant. 
Yeah, that's the first thing you've got in your head. Right. Yeah, and that's that's part of it right there and of why it's so important for us to focus on the positive self-talk versus like stopping the negative self-talk. Like if you say like I shouldn't be saying this to myself. Gosh, why am I why am I so hard on myself? Why am I doing this? Like that is negativity over your negativity. Like yes. you're just compounding your negativity because <laughs> it's like I shouldn't be, you know, I know I need to be more positive, but gosh, like, you know, when, when I say like, oh, I'm such a slacker, I'm like, shoot, I shouldn't be saying that. And then you have like guilt over the negative self-talk, like on top of it. So that's just compounding it even further. Yes. Yes. You miss a run, then you call yourself a slacker, and then you call yourself overly critical because you called yourself a slacker. Right. This is not a good path to head down. Right. This is a terrible, it just, it's trying to get out of a hole with a shovel. Like you, you need a ladder. You right. You climb out. And so you need to start having different tools to start building yourself up and starting to be like, instead of saying, I'm such a slacker, I miss my run today, say, okay, I miss my run today, but I know that I'm going to get back at it tomorrow, right? Mm -hmm. Having these things of these positive affirmations, these positive statements that are saying what kind of person you are and what you are going to do versus focusing on what you didn't do or what you haven't been doing or whatever it is that, you know, you're telling yourself there. Right. So um, a lot of these thoughts come around, I think, when you're trying to figure out a goal for yourself. Like where is where is your life generally heading? I, I always go towards goal setting. Like figure out what you've got, like where you're trying to head, and then be careful about these these thoughts just sneaking in there even as you're trying to set up a goal. You know, we talked before about um, trying to make sure that you have the, the appropriate level of goal, that you've got like an A, B, and C goal, that like the one you're satisfied with, the one that would be great, and the, the one that if everything just falls into place would be amazing. But even before you create those goals, you may have limiting beliefs on top of them. Yeah. You may already be telling yourself like, wow, it would be amazing. Like everything would have to align perfectly for me to hit that goal. And that's only because you've already told yourself that there's a limit on how good you can get, on how fast you could be, on how much you could train for this thing. So you've capped yourself before you even set that crazy, crazy goal. So your crazy goal actually isn't that crazy because you already calmed it down a little bit. Mm, that's really interesting. Yeah, so that's kind of like what you believe you're actually capable of and then you go maybe a little bit right there or like a little bit above it, Like you, but you don't actually open yourself up to the full realm of possibilities. Right, yeah, you're just, you're living in, you know, the middle goal and you're like, ah, maybe just a little bit faster than that. Like, it'd be cool if I could break four hours in the marathon. Like, I, that would be pretty awesome. But it would never even occur to you to be like, I wonder if I could break 3.30. Mm -hmm. Like, you, you make the jump from like four to like, yeah, maybe 3.55. But it's so out of the realm of possibility to throwing think 330 because it's so much faster but if you don't have the crazy goal how hard are you going to work mm -hmm. right so then that moves into like discounting the possibility of the achieving the goal before you even start and then that will take us more into these like self-limiting beliefs that so many of us have about ourselves which then come from a lot of that negative self-talk that we were talking about before yeah i mean the the whole idea of a crazy dream is that it's got to be a crazy dream, 
but you have to accept its possibility. Yeah. That's the thing. It's like it has to still be real for you. It has to be something that you can get to. Mm-hmm. And maybe in order to, to wrap your head around that, you have to break it into some small steps. You know, you have to see that you're not failing along the way. Like, oh, well, I tried it once and I didn't reach my crazy dream. You tried it once and didn't reach your crazy dream. Did you get closer than you were before? Then you're continuing in the right path. That's the point of a crazy dream is you shouldn't be able to be like, all right, well, if I just work really hard for the next hour, I guess I accomplish it. Right. But that's not how crazy dreams work. Well, and like think about any elite runners. Like you think that they got to where they are because they were just like had smooth sailing along the way? Like absolutely not. Like how many of these people have been injured? How many of these people have had missteps in their training? How many of them have had bad races or failed races where they didn't achieve what they were going out to achieve or they they didn't you know get the time on the clock that they wanted to get I mean look at some of these athletes that were kind of like mediocre in high school and college and then go on to win Olympic medals like that happens like you sometimes you don't peak until later in life I mean that's that's a huge sort of resume basically of most of your elite especially on the American side, marathoners. Mm -hmm. They were good distance runners in college, but they were not crushing everybody. Mm -hmm. They were good. And then when they got out of it and they started, they continued to grow, they continued to develop and they started building in some mileage. They're like, I wonder what it'd be like if I raced instead of, you know, a a three mile or uh, up to a five mile, maybe even a 10 K for, for some of the men's collegiate but what if I raced 26 and it just opened up this whole new world of possibilities? You know, they were never going to crush it internationally on the track, but by upping the distance, suddenly the whole new world opened to them. Right. But a lot of times it's not the whole new world right on the first race. Like they have to do race after race, training session after training session. So like people that go out and say, Oh God, I had a bad run today. Like, Oh, I'm such a loser. Like, I don't even know if this running thing is for me. Like, Do you know how many bad runs we've had? Like you have had, I have had, elite runners have had, and obviously I'm not on the same level as elites, but they know what it's like to have a bad day. And guess what? They show up the next day. And the next day might be bad too. And then they show up the next day. And eventually you get those good runs and that make you feel like, heck yeah, this is why I'm doing this. It might be even harder on the elite side because it's not even the next day. It's the next training session. They've got two or three of them every single day. Every day. day. Like, (laughs) Like you don't have a day of like where there's other things to focus. This is mm. arguably a benefit of having like the other job and family and other things that distract you from your running world. You wake up and have a bad workout and then you go back and you have breakfast and I mean, yes, here's the cool part. Then you get some of your like special therapy and maybe you take a nap, but then you have another workout at lunch. Mm-hmm. Like that's, that's how the pro works. So if your workout in the morning didn't go well, you got to get over that because you have another one coming in a few hours. Yeah. And I think that as much as our real life can also help put things in perspective, it can also make our runs harder as well. Because if you're really stressed out at work or with your family, or there's a lot of things going on in your life, then that can make your runs harder. And you can say, gosh, darn it. Like my running is for me. Like my running is the stuff that's supposed to make me feel better and make me feel stronger. And yet here's your real life kind of seeping into your running and kind of tainting it, right? Like your runs aren't going as well as you want them to go because of all the stress or lack of sleep or things going on in your real life. So I think sometimes we can get a little angry or annoyed or really let that get us down in some ways um, when we have the choice 
to not let that happen. Like everything we feel is a choice. Like the initial emotion is not a choice, but we then have a choice on how we react to that. And I think that's a really important thing to keep in perspective because you are fully in control of your life and your thoughts and how you want to view a situation at any point in time. Right. So when it comes to setting this goal, are you seeing the huge possibility or are you looking back at previous quote unquote failures that you've had in your life and being like, Ooh, I should put the bar down here to make sure that I can, I can actually get over the bar. Yeah. You know, it's, I've done that. You gotta, you have to believe in yourself. Uh, It doesn't really matter who else is out there. You got a whole group of people around you saying like, yeah, you're awesome. It doesn't matter if that voice in your head is like, yeah, you're all my friends, so you have to say that. Mm -hmm. Like that voice can so easily discount everybody cheering around you. You have to believe. And then... It's great if you have a supportive crew around you. That's that's an extra bonus. But if it, if the belief doesn't start with you, it's hard to get very far off of it. Yeah, because who's going to believe in you if you don't actually believe in yourself? And like, I think that's easy to say and much harder to put into practice, especially when you're surrounded by people that might not be supporting your chosen lifestyle. Um, There's a lot of people that come from, you know, families that are overweight and unhealthy. And now here they are, they're the runner of the family and all their, the rest of their family members are looking at them like, what in the world are you doing? Right? So their family members aren't, number one, they don't understand it. And number two, they don't support it because here you are like the black sheep of the family that's now decided to go get healthy, you know, like come on over and let's just have some French fries. Like, you know, and obviously French fries are great and you can have some French fries as a runner, but like, you know, it's one of those things that it's that mentality though of that, that when you come from the, that sort of family background and that mentality and that culture, um, especially if you were, you know, the family was overweight or even obese, like that's a really hard culture to get out of and like actually think that you can be different. Yeah, to think that you can be different and that different is okay because yeah. that's that's the normal for you. Mm-hmm. You know, you bring this up with your patients all the time of like, oh, yeah, no, I – They've, I've got the normal stuff. I've, I take the high blood pressure <laughs> medication, my anti-diet, my lower diabetes medication, oh all, all of the normal meds. Like those aren't those aren't normal. Yeah, there's nothing but normal. If there. that's what if that's what you know, if like you grew up in an environment where everybody you know, had high blood pressure, right? Everybody had high blood pressure. Everybody was pushing diabetes. Like this was just a normal thing. This was how dinner worked, and this was how like just normal eating worked. And suddenly you're like, actually, I'd like to start eating a lot more vegetables. I'm going to start getting up super early in the morning and running. People are going to be like, yeah, I don't think that's that healthy for you to be waking up at five o'clock in the morning and trying to go for a six mile run. Mm -hmm. Hold on a second. I got to take my meds. No, wait. I heard running was bad for your knees. Running is totally bad for your knees. Hold on. I got to go take my next meds. Yeah. You don't want to develop arthritis in your knees because, you know, running is definitely going to cause worse arthritis than being a hundred pounds overweight. Right. Yes. The arthritis will come on. Hold on. I have to have a donut now because this latest round of medication I need to eat something with. (laughs) You got to figure out what's, what's the healthy, what's normal. And it's tough to break the environment that you're used to. I feel like we sound very judgy right now. Very judgy. (laughs) We're not trying to be judgy. I kind of want a donut though. (laughs) Yeah. Donuts are delicious. And we're, you know, we're just kind of trying to prove the point here that if that's the culture you're surrounded by, and obviously we're exaggerating, I hope, um, 
it's very hard for you to get out of that. And I think it's the same way like in business and careers and professions and success. Like I know that I'm one of the first people in my family that went to college and I wanted to be a doctor. Like no one in my family did that before. Like it's much easier for people that have had other people in their family kind of blaze the trail and and, and go on and do that. And then you just kind of follow in their footsteps, right? It's much harder to be your own trailblazer. It's much harder to do things. And I know growing up, like I knew I was smart. I knew I could do it. But there was always that part of me, like in the back of my mind, that's like, yeah, but do you actually deserve it? Is this something that you really want to do? Do you actually deserve that kind of success? Like, who would you be if you had that level of success in comparison to your family? Like, then there's like this identity issue of like, you know, what would that make me? What would my relationship with my family look like? So I don't think it's like, yes, it definitely applies to health and running, but it also applies to a lot of other areas of our life. That's a tough one. If I become this kind of person, if I become the the runner person, how do I still fit in with my family? How do I still have that relationship? How do I work with that friend who has told me almost every single day that running is nuts and I should just stop doing that? You know, how do you complain about a bad run to that person who tells you, well, you shouldn't be running in the first place? Mm-hmm. Or that person that has difficulty going up the stairs because they're out of breath. Like, it's hard to complain about a bad run to that person. But I feel like it's also very natural to start to not feel as connected to people like that. Like, because when you do start to take on this lifestyle as a runner, as a real life runner, where you want to be in control of your health, in control of your life, in control of your running, and you see other people in your life that don't want that for themselves, that aren't doing the same things, that just kind of accept where they are in life and don't really do anything to change it, it's harder to connect to those people. Right. So then you can you can try and reach out and try and help them step up, mm-hmm. but it's you can only do it so many times. You can only get rejected by them so many times to right. be like, here, try this, maybe try this. Just give them like, you know, that first little step in that right direction. But if they just keep turning it around and being like, nope, I can't do that. I can't do that. I can't do that. Eventually, you're just going to start building this sort of gap between the two of you, mm-hmm. which, you know, might be unfortunate, but you can't be surrounded by people that are trying to hold you down. Yeah, and I think that's really, really hard for people to accept and to understand um but i think that i hope that you all hearing that this is like a normal thing that a lot of people go through maybe that will help you because i think that you know i I tell my patients a lot like i can't care about your life more than you do and i can't help you if you don't want help so yes if you have people that are close to you in your life maybe it's your spouse maybe it's your parents maybe it's your siblings maybe it's just your close friends and you decide you you want to get healthier and they decide they don't want to go down that path that can be really difficult and it's up to you how you want to handle that and that's a very individual thing and i i know that like when I'm passionate about something, when I learn about something, I always want to bring people along with me. You know, I, I want to teach people. I want to show people that, you know, I, I think I found a better way for this. You know, I think I found an easier way. I think I've, I can find a, a way for us to live a better life here. And, and I get very passionate about things. So when people 
don't want to do it. I'm like, well, but why? You why know, would you not do that? Why don't you want to do it? Like, look at all this research. Look at what I've found. Like, look what I've been able to figure out in my life. Come with me. And and some people don't want to. They're not ready for it yet. And you have to accept that as well. And and like you said, there's there's some point where you just have to stop pushing. And then hopefully, maybe through your example, without you saying, come on, come on, come on, just by you doing what you do, you can become a good example for that person. And maybe they will start to join you, but it, maybe it's just going to take them a little bit longer to get on the bandwagon. Right. But one of the things that you can't do is shrink yourself yeah. because you want to make sure that you stay with that one. Like you can't yeah. limit yourself and be like, Ooh, I don't want to pull away from this. I don't want, you can't pull back on your own accomplishments and hide everything that is successful with you just because you might offend somebody around you. Yeah. Like you have to actually take pride in your own accomplishments because if you can't take pride in them, how are you going to work hard towards that accomplishment? Like, oh, let me work really, really hard and reach this major, major goal that I've been training for months for and then not tell anybody about it and not take any pride in this it's going to be really hard to train for that. Mm. Or if you've done it once, you tried to actually take pride in it and everybody just poo-pooed your accomplishments. Or didn't think anything of it. Like, because right. they don't understand how hard it is to run a marathon or to run a half marathon or to run your first 5K. Like, they don't understand how difficult that is because they've never done it. Right. So then how hard are you going to work the next time? Right. That's part of, you know, make sure you surround yourself with people that... Yes, you can have some people that might not understand it and they can totally be close friends to you, but you're going to need some people that do get it. Yeah. Some people that you can connect with that understand how physically and mentally challenging this is that you're going through mm -hmm. that are going to be super proud of your accomplishments so that you can be super proud of your accomplishments. Yeah. And that's one of the benefits of our real life runners tribe. Like, and I've seen a lot of people post in there, like I have to share this with my running family cause you guys get it. And like the other people <laughs> in my family don't get it. Yeah, you know, that's the line. Cause you guys get and it. And that's, that's one of the benefits of like, you know, this is like your virtual community. Like the real life runners tribe can be your virtual support system. And if you're not a member, yet head over to realliferunners.com and request access there's a little button in the top corner that says fb tribe you can click on and request access but becoming a part of that like there are other runners going through the same stuff as you that get it like we understand it so even if the other people in your life don't you can maybe find enough support here that you can continue to do what you do and not worry that you're not getting the support somewhere else yeah and then you know surround yourself with runners that don't feel like you're bragging like you can totally be proud be like yes i just crushed this time and no one's gonna be like oh look at that person trying to show off over there no no you're not like no. you're a runner who's very excited about what you just did and if you surround yourself with other runners everyone's just going to support and celebrate what you just accomplished the key is the surrounding with other runners mm -hmm. because if you surround with non-runners they're going to look at it and either be like well that accomplishment is insane i can't connect with it right. or I don't even know what that means. So they just discount it and it's not that cool of an accomplishment. Yeah, exactly. And I see this a lot too. Like one of the things I wanted to also mention is this idea of being able to accept compliments um, versus like the, the self-deprecating like behavior or comments or statements, like trying to make yourself smaller. I think that a lot of us do this, like because it can feel awkward sometimes if people compliment you and you're like, oh no, you know, it's not that big of a deal. Like you try to make it smaller than it actually is. And I think that this again is more evidence of this negative self-talk. Like 
how hard is it for you to accept a compliment? Like if someone tells you you did a good job, are you able to actually accept that and honor it and be like, you know what, I'm going to receive that and and I'm going to feel that pride that comes with it. Or do you like try to discount it and you say, oh, well, you know, it wasn't really me. It was, it was a team effort or this or that, you know, like there's a lot of people that do that and they don't want to take the credit and obviously don't take credit if it's not yours to take, but <laughs> you know what I mean? But like, um, I think that a lot of times we have a hard time taking those compliments and being able to actually feel the pride of the things that we have accomplished. Yeah, I mean, it's it's nice to make sure that everybody who is part of the accomplishment actually gets gets their, their own ownership for it. You yeah. know, like there are things that are group efforts. But think back of the last like several compliments that you've received. Did you respond thank you to any of them? Or did you just start making other excuses and being like, oh, yeah, it was also this person and this person and it wasn't that big of a deal and, well, it would have been cooler, but this, this, and this. How many times do you get accomplishment and you can just, it's a very simple response. Thank you. Yeah. And it's, it's easier. It's fewer words probably than what you're going with. <laughs> but it's mentally really tricky yeah. to say, yes, I'm just going to full on accept that accomplishment because I worked really hard and well, quite frankly, I deserve your your praise on that one right. because I accomplished something awesome. So thank you. Yeah. And and think about you giving someone else a compliment. Like so if you're kind of like if if what we just said kind of makes you feel uncomfortable, the idea of actually accepting a compliment, think about giving a compliment. Like if you actually genuinely give someone a compliment, you're trying to tell them something nice, right? So if they just replied to you like thank you, that would make you happy. Like you're not going to be like, "Oh god, that person's such a, a egomaniac, <laughs> you know, he just accepted my compliment." Like no, like if you genuinely give someone a compliment, you want them to accept it because you want them to know that you're acknowledging something like, "Oh wow, you look really beautiful today." Like I tell people that, you know, like I I love your hair today. Like and all the if someone's like, "Oh, thank you." Like that makes me feel good because I know that I made them feel good, which was the whole point of the compliment. It's the whole point. Right? But if but if someone replies to me with like, oh, you know, yeah, it, with some sort of excuse, you know, like, oh, yeah, it just looks like this because I actually washed it today. And like, you know, you kind of laugh or whatever. <laughs> but like how, you know. You, as the giver of a compliment, you want someone to receive it. You want someone to take it and to feel good about themselves. That's the whole point, right? So when it's reversed and someone's giving you the compliment, now you have to receive it. Yes, just just receive it. Yeah. I, I do this with some of my kids, especially the ones who don't you know necessarily academically rise to the top in my classes. <laughs> I compliment other things on them. You know, if if I know something went well in like a sports game the night before, or literally just like there there was a girl in my chemistry class, super super pretty nails that she walked in with class today. I was like, wow, your fingernails look friggin' amazing because they were like I don't know one check color on the bottom and it faded to another color on the top. That's called an ombre sure it, <laughs> it looked awesome i like paused teaching in the middle of the class just to compliment her fingernails because I, I noticed them she sits dead center and they were like bright and colorful and i'm like wow those are really pretty nails and she goes oh thank you like that's that's what i meant for it i didn't mean like oh those are really pretty nails but you're terrible at chemistry like that's not what i meant <laughs> i just literally wanted to say hey <laughs> pretty nails yeah awkward <laughs> creepy teacher complimenting some young girl's nails but anyway whatever so look see look at me i'm i'm, I'm deprecating <laughs> instead of saying like yeah that was a really nice that was thing a nice thing did. that you did there yeah but i mean some people will take it the wrong way totally so obviously that's not what you meant by it but 
Um, okay, so so going back to this, you know, really try to step into your power and own your accomplishments. Be proud of who you are and what you do. You know, like I know that sometimes, like when non-runners like if it t- talk to you, they're like, "Oh, I could never do that." Right? Like, how many times have you heard that? Like, "Oh, yep. you, you just did what? You ran a whatever." type of race oh I could never do that how long was your marathon this weekend how long was your marathon always a good one (laughs) always a good one and it's like I always tell people like yes you could and they're like no 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 I can't do that and I said well you could if you wanted to right like do you want well I don't really want to do it I'm like well then you then you're not going you definitely can't but you can do it if you want to like if you could do anything you want oh but I've got arthritis in my knees that's okay like you can still run like you can be a runner running is actually good for your knees what (laughs) you know like yeah People don't believe that, but you know that's a, that's a story for another time. So if we continue to have these self-limiting beliefs in our head, we're going to find excuses much easier. Like these problems and obstacles are going to seemingly keep popping up in our lives. Like, and we're going to keep telling ourselves that. We're not good enough. And guess what? If you tell yourself that, then you're not going to see the progress that you're making because either you're not going to be making the progress because you don't actually believe that you can make it so you're not going to actually do the work and push yourself to actually make the progress or maybe you are making some progress and you're just refusing to acknowledge it. Oh, that's a tricky one. You're making progress and just pretending that it doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. You keep looking at yourself in the mirror and you're like, yep, nope, not improving. Yeah. It's it's tricky when you see yourself every single day yep. in the mirror to actually see the progress. But if you look on, on a regular there's it's like the people that, that see your kids mm-hmm. every like few months. They're like, Oh my word, they just they're sprouting like crazy. You're like, Are they? Like, yeah. I don't, they, I, they're basically the same height as they were yesterday. Yeah. And that's the, that's the thing, you know, like you don't notice it because those changes are so small on a day to day basis. But when you look back over time and you see the journey that you've been on, where you are now compared to where you were, that's a really big jump. Okay. So let's get into how to train now, because I think that this also, this idea of like the negative self-talk and the self-limiting beliefs and stop lying to yourself, right? can also carry over into our training. And this, there's a big thing here that I want to, that we want to go into um, about training where you are versus where you want to be. And I think this is a trap that a lot of runners fall into. And we're going to try to cover this as quickly as possible because our, our time is coming up here. But, you know, a lot of runners will train at the level where they want to be like so I want to run say a sub two hour half marathon but the last one I ran was two and a half hours like are you there yet like are you there are like are you training like you're there but you're still you know maybe like a 220 215 like so the idea of training where you are versus training where you want to be Kevin can you kind of take us a little bit through navigating those waters. Yeah, it's super dangerous. You could get hurt. Yeah, well, that's the problem. <laughs> you know, like when you train where you want to be instead of where you are, that is what happens a lot of time. And that's what, you know, that's what causes a lot of runners to fall into that injury cycle. Yeah, it's it's a tricky kind of dangerous thing. And, and we've talked before on like on more of a personal growth, not like actually you're running, but on a personal growth, this whole idea of of the be do have. Like be the runner that you want to be, then do the things that runner does, and then have that runner's accomplishments. It goes in that order. Be, do, have. So if you want to be a sub two hour marathoner, sub two hour half marathoner, I wanna I wanna be Kipchoge. <laughs> <laughs> um but if you want to be sub two hour half marathoner 
then you have to do the things that person does. So does that mean that you should be hitting workouts at that person's pace? Yeah. And the answer is not exactly. Mm-hmm. Like you have to do the other stuff. Like you have to live that lifestyle. You mm-hmm. can't, you have to make sure that you're taking in appropriate nutrition, you're recovering appropriately, that you're doing that type of workout, but that the speeds are not necessarily the same pace. You, you're training wise, pace wise needs to be where you currently are yeah in general and then I like what you say like you you tell me like when we've had this discussion in the past you're like you train where you are and then you sprinkle in a little bit closer to where you want to be and I'm like what does that mean Mm, (laughs) and that's that's why you're my coach yeah I don't figure that out you do that that's where coaching kind of has the it's the art form aspect to it is it depends on the person right and it's sometimes it's a it's a guess and check kind of thing of hey let's try this and see how how it goes but in general you should basically be training at where you are yeah okay because um, and this is also where effort training is super big. Oh, this is why we are huge on effort level training because knowing what your effort level is on any given day, just regardless of what the time says on the clock, you're going to improve if you're pushing yourself to different levels as you know you go through your training cycle. Right, but if you're coming off of a, a long down cycle, you came coming off of an injury or whatever it is that you haven't been running in a little while – Level two is not the same number on the clock as level two was a month ago. Yeah. That's the thing is effort level kind of guides this thing of it helps you train where you are. You really get an idea of what level two is. And as you get faster, you get in better shape. Level two just naturally moves faster, but it still Mm -hmm. feels like level two. Right. That's the trick. Right. And then what about like our speed work? Because like, you know, level two, that's our easy, easy stuff, you know, but what about the speed work and stuff? Okay, so if it's, if it's effort-based, you know, then your major level is level two, level five, find a medium, level eight, find a fast. But if you're training for like a specific race time, should you tra- sort of train at the, the goal pace or should you train where you are? In general, train based off of where you are because you probably have not essentially like squeezed everything out of training at that pace range. Mm-hmm. Okay? Yeah, I remember you telling me that when I we talk about like different training plans and different um, workouts and things like that. And you're like, yeah, you can do the same workout at the same pace and get a different benefit from it. And I was like, well, shouldn't my paces be faster? Like I'm faster now than I was a month ago, a couple months ago, the last time I did this workout. And you're like, yeah, but you can do the same workout and just get a different benefit. Yeah, that that's definitely part of it. And there's another one of like, well, but my 5k PR just went from 25 minutes to 2445. So do all of my paces get faster? Yes. Yes, they do. They're all a second and a half faster. Like, (laughs) does it matter? Your body doesn't know the difference between hitting like quarter mile repeats in a minute 45 versus a minute 44. Like it just doesn't. Especially at our level, you know, the level that most real life runners are at, you know, like every second or like tenth of a second matters in elite runners right especially if you're running like the 100 meters the 200 meters like some of the the shorter track distances sure if you're sprinting then it matters i'll record times down to the tenth my sprinters in the track team are always like coach are you gonna time this one i'm like "Mm, i'm gonna watch and make sure that it looks like you're going the appropriate level of hard well can you time this one sure and then they'll cross the finish line did you get my time like ah sorry the watch didn't go Oh, why don't you time 
them if you were going to tell them that you're going to time them. It's the one that asked me like the 17th time during the same practice. Can you just time this one? I'm like, I will time it, but you have to wait for me to get over there because I'm in the middle of doing like 14 other things right now. Right. So if you want me to time you, you go in the last group and wait till I get to the finish line. And yeah. they're like, ah, all right, we're just going to go. <laughs> yeah. So I think that that's really the, the biggest takeaway is that you should train where you are versus where you want to be. Because by training where you are, your, your current situation, your present place of where you are will gradually and naturally get faster. Right. right. So there's, I mean, you know, you used to call me the spreadsheet king on this one yeah. of it's sort of like if you run a 5k in this time, you should do your workouts. If you're doing quarter mile repeats at this pace, or if you're doing half mile repeats, it's this pace. And there's this spreadsheet and I still have access to it. Like I, I made this whole spreadsheet thing, but it's all a gray area and everything's got a big range to it. One of the big things that you can do to manipulate a workout is not to keep making it faster. There's so many other things you could do. If you've done quarter mile repeats to try and prepare for an upcoming 5k, it's a very popular workout. You three sets of four quarter miles at your 5k pace. Mm -hmm. That's 12 quarters. That's three miles at Mm -hmm. your 5k pace. Yeah. Does that guarantee that you could then actually run three miles at that pace? Mm-hmm. Not necessarily. So then maybe you should do more. Like keep the same pace, but try and add in a fourth set. Mm-hmm. You know, the other day I did three by a mile at my supposed 5K pace. Mm-hmm. That has that definitely does not mean I could run those three miles back to back to back. Straight through, right. So the the workout that I like to build to as as my my training cycle keeps going is instead of three by a mile, then I do four by a mile, then I do five by a mile. But I don't mess with my pace. Yeah. I don't try and take that thing down. You have to keep volume into account. Or you could chop the recovery down even smaller. But keep that pace range the same because mm-hmm. that's still going to be like a 5K workout. Or it could be like a, a tempo run. And you're still keeping that pace the same, but maybe you, you shorten the little mini break off of the tempo even further. Yeah, that's those are really great ideas. And I know that people love it when you give these like real examples of how to manipulate their training. So I'm sure that people are going to be loving this episode. And if you're <laughs> listening while you're out on a run, you can definitely go back and re-listen to that one again. So um, is there anything else you want to say here before before we wrap up this episode? Uh, yeah, one one little thing on how you said, well, sometimes you can sprinkle in a little bit of going too fast. Yeah, There are certain workouts that you're allowed to break the speed limit on. And really... I used to suggest that you can break the speed limit on the ones where you're going like extra fast. Like if you're training for a half marathon, the workout's at like 5k pace, break the speed limit. It's fine. If you're training for a 5k and you're doing like 200 meter repeats, it's okay to go too fast. I think you can break the speed limit on any of them, but you have to really listen to your body and probably take an extra recovery day. Maybe it's supposed to be an easy run and you just felt amazing that day and you kept the same distance, but you just pushed it and you were like, man, I just felt amazing today. I'm just going to keep going and I'm going to, this is going to be awesome. Well, you probably don't want to do your speed work the next day, or if you do, except that it might not go that fast and that you're going to need to like double up a recovery day at some point in the week. Like you can make any day a day to break the speed limit. That's fine. The thing is that you can't make every day. You can make any of them, but not all of them. And that's the difference between training where you are and training where you want to be. You have to generally train where you are. Yeah, that's awesome advice right there. And I think that that's one of the things that a lot of runners do wrong and why a lot of runners get hurt, stressed out, burnt out, sick, injured, you know, 
name name that ailment and it's because they they're pushing every single day and they are not allowing for that recovery so i love what you just said there um so that pretty much wraps it up then yeah yeah i think so all right cool so time to move on to one of our favorite segments and that is our runner of the week Woohoo! <laughs> So our runner of the week comes to us this week from the UK. Awesome. I know. Um, Mel Blorstein, you are our runner of the week this week. Woohoo! Yay! Um, now, Mel has actually been one of our original real-life runners. Like, I still remember, I don't know if she, she knows this, I, I don't know if I've ever told her this, but, like, she, I think, is one of the first people that ever emailed us um, after we launched our podcast and just, you know, as a thank you. Like, she just went out of her way to send us a very kind email telling us how much she appreciated the podcast and what we were doing. Right, which was probably way back at a podcast that if we listened to it, we'd be like, ooh, man, we should edit that thing. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know sometimes I see the like podcast archives that like our virtual assistant is posting on like Instagram and stuff. And I'm like, oh, I wonder how that one sounds, you know, <laughs> because obviously after 128 episodes, we've gotten much more comfortable um, with our podcasting style. And some, of course, are better than others, depending on how tired we are and what time at <laughs> night we're recording this. But um, but yeah. So anyway, back to Mel. Um, Mel. Yeah. So. I've always had like a very soft spot in my heart for Mel because like I just always I always remember that she went out of her way just to send us a, a very very kind email about how much she loved the podcast and she also pointed out how much she liked Kevin's voice which I thought was so funny yes everybody thought that was very very funny <laughs> but anyway um so we reached out to Mel and you know watching Mel's development over the last few years that we've known her and been following her journey has been really great um and really inspirational and she's really taken on the identity of real life runner and decided to make running her own and make it something that brings her joy and happiness. And this is why we chose her to be our runner of the week this week, because it, it I just felt like she gets it. Like she understands our message and what we're going for here and how you don't need to compare yourself to anybody else. You don't need to judge yourself negatively. Running can be whatever you want it to be. And it should be something that brings you joy and that challenges you and that takes you outside of your comfort zone and I love seeing all the pictures that she posts of like her runs her trail runs now um and just seeing what she's been able to accomplish and, and kind of transform into over the last couple of years has really been a joy for me and for us yeah I mean you're right she she has completely stepped into that role of real life runner that person whatever it means to them whatever it means to find joy and and push themselves and see what they can do will still being as happy as possible and trying to share that with the people around them. That's, mm -hmm. that's the goal. That's, that's winning. Yeah, that's winning. Exactly. So we reached out to Mel this week and we told her that we had chosen her to be our runner of the week. And this was her response to us. Hey, Angie and Kevin, what an unexpected thrill. Thank you. Two years ago at the age of 54, I literally fell into running after a lifetime of saying that I couldn't run due to having weak ankles. I built up to being able to run 5K without stopping, but I hated it. <laughs> then two things happened. I heard about Jeff Galloway's run-walk method, and I discovered the Real Life Runners podcast. Both revolutionized my running. Firstly, I decided that at 54, I didn't need to run the entire distance. A 5K run is a 5K run, however long it takes. Secondly, and much more importantly, the RLR podcasts taught me how to be a runner with a real life. 
In the last year, sadly, my marriage has broken down and I am now a part-time single parent. This means that all my training is pushed into the first half of the week. I can't therefore follow any traditional training plan, which are typically structured around three to five evenly sp spread training days per week. From listening to the podcast and engaging with the tribe, what I've learned is how to structure a training plan that works for me. What to focus on, what I can leave out, when to push, and when to give myself a break. But equally, if not more importantly, what RLR has taught me is that real life is what's important. I'm not training for the Olympics or running for money. I'm running for enjoyment to improve myself. So it doesn't matter how good I am compared to others. It doesn't matter that I'm happy sticking to 5K and 10K runs and don't want to run a marathon. It doesn't matter that I want to have my walk breaks scheduled from the beginning. I'm still a runner. What matters is that I enjoy the running I'm doing and I'm spending quality time with my son when I can. I am the best version of me that I can be in the present circumstances. RLR gives us so much to think about and not just about running. It uses running as the medium for many life lessons. It's delivered in a non-preachy way to allow the listener to decide if this week's topic is relevant to them and how to apply it. Even if I wasn't a runner, I think I would still listen to RLR because it has impacted my life much deeper than just my running. It's made me a better parent, and that is the most important aspect of my life. Yeah, so now you guys understand why we love Mel so much. Yeah. <laughs> and why she gets it. Um, so, Mel, thank you so much for those sweet words um, and taking the time to write all of that to us. Um, it really means the world to us to know that we are reaching you in that way and reaching other people, hopefully, in that way, because really that is our whole mission. I know. I We got the, the message, and it was, it was lengthy. I'm like, well, maybe we shouldn't read this entire thing. And it's just – it's so good because – she gets it so it's much. Genuine. It's so true. It's so genuine too. So Mel, thank you so much. Thank you for sharing your running journey with us. Um, and we love to acknowledge you as our runner of the week this week. So congratulations. So that about wraps it up for this week. Thank you guys so much for spending this time with us like we like you do every week. We so much appreciate it. If you haven't subscribed to the show, make sure that you subscribe on your favorite podcast player so that you get the new episodes immediately as soon as they're released every Thursday. Um, they get downloaded right to your phone. So pick your favorite podcast player, which most of you said was Apple Podcasts in my last poll in the tribe, um, and subscribe to the show. And if you haven't left us a review, please leave us a review um, because those just help other people to find the podcast and hopefully spread more of the lo running love and the message of positivity that we want to share with the world. So thank you again for joining us. We are going to be opening up our Real Life Runners Training Academy at the end of March. So if you want to be the first person notified, head over to yourrunningplan.com and sign up to be on our waiting list so you are the first person notified when our training program opens back up. We've got some really, really exciting changes that we're, we're making to the program. We're going to be offering the program at different levels so that you can find the level that's right for you wherever you currently are on your running journey. Um, so make sure you don't miss out on that. Head over to yourrunningplan.com and sign up for our wait list. Thank you again for joining us today. This has been the Real Life Runners podcast, episode number 128. Now get out there and run your life.